Hey listeners, it's Vry from the editing chair. These episodes were mostly recorded before the protests started, so I wanted to make a little note ahead of time to say that we stand with the protesters in solidarity against the cops and against the murder of black people across the U.S. We encourage you to do whatever you can, whether that's going out and protesting or donating to local bail bonds or other organizations or spreading the news on social media. We have linked some possible organizations on the Twitter, the LGBTQ Freedom Fund and the Okra Project, which has set up remembrances named after Tony McDade and Nina Pop, two of our black trans siblings that were murdered. We tend not to do commentary on black queer cinema for these Pride Month episodes because we feel as a an extremely white podcast, it isn't our place to offer commentary on those films, but we nonetheless would recommend seeking it out. Some films you can stream right now are Moonlight, Just Another Girl on the IRT, Daughters of the Dust, Rafiki, and the works of Cheryl Dunier particularly The Watermelon Woman. These are all great films. We cannot afford to look away. I hope that our podcast can be a moment for you all to recharge because the fight is not over. Happy Pride, y'all. Stay safe. there listeners welcome back to trash and treasures where we watch the movies other people throw away my name is vry and with me as always is dorothy hello and sean hi and it is our annual pride celebration week two don't worry this time it's a happy one (laughs) yes this is very gay in the traditional sense (laughs) Yeah, for any new listeners uh, who have just joined us, we're updating weekly all through June. Most of the time we have a schedule of bi-weekly. <laughs> we did it! This week's episode, keeping on with our tradition of going in chronological order, is 2001's Friends and Family. And by the way, if you're trying to Google that, good fucking luck, because this movie almost ghosted us. <laughs> Which, it tried real hard. I, I don't know who found more copies of it in their basement and didn't put it up for extortion prices. Oh no, I've discovered what happened. So you two originally saw this movie, again like Ghost, on Netflix back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Alright, so I, looking up the Google and seeing, ah, this came out in 2001, tried to Google Friends and Family 2001. It took me to an Amazon page that had... $80 DVDs, but the joke $80 was on me. for this. Mm-hmm. We weren't gonna pay that. We were not. But the joke was on me, you see, because the DVD wasn't released until 2003, which means you have to search for Friends and Family 2003, at which point you will find many, many very affordable copies, even though they're out of print. It's not listed by its actual distribution date. It's listed by the, the the home video publication date. Okay. 
making it even less likely that people will find this movie that is entirely composed of people who did this thing and nothing else. (laughs) Pretty much universally, yes. Yeah, Sean, you did a little bit of digging on the extremely weird cast and crew for this. Oh, yeah. So so much digging. There was so much to find. Because when I go to IMDb, I'm like, okay, cool. Director, writer, let's just click on those. Let's start seeing if we can make some connections. Boom. Two completely devoid bios. Uh, the writer doesn't even have a picture. Like, you can go on IMDb right now. I'll wait. I won't really wait. You can pause the, the episode. Anyways, they're completely devoid of anything. But as near as I can tell, um, director slash producer Kristen Curry, um, is in fact a playhouse director, meaning that she does the theater and does seem to be in fact running her own playhouse that she began in 2004. So she's got more important shit to do. Right. So she directed this movie and nothing else because I guess it's not her bag? Which makes me wonder if this was supposed to be a play? This, I mean, it could easily be a play. But this timeline screams to me, I was disillusioned by the filmmaking process and have decided to go back to theater in Florida, of all places. Fuck y'all. Reasonable. (laughs) Look, all of those people who are working as characters at Disney need a real artistic outlet somewhere. Then we have our writer, um, I'm probably gonna butcher this, uh, Joseph Trebowasser? That sounds right. Apologies if it's not. You're the German. As if he's listening. It, it might be Trebwasser, but that's the best I got. Uh, possibly. So again, completely empty bio. He wrote this and nothing else. He got a producer credit. Buried in the internet, there is, immediately after the release of this, a variety magazine article that is one, two, three, four, five paragraphs, and two of those paragraphs are a single sentence long. But buried in the last line of that, he mentions that he wants to write a dramatic play called Patience about his experiences as a doctor. And if you Google his name, you will find many, many more references to him, to someone with that name being an MD and writing in Psychiatric Times, so I'm assuming it's the same guy. Let's see, do his medical bona fides come after he wrote the film? Is this a man who went back to medicine? No, this is a man who was a doctor first, because you see he was planning to write a play called Patience based on his already possessed experience as a doctor. Okay, well, well, I do also see an article from 2009 from him that he co-authored with a couple people on BPD. Uh, yeah, that seems, I think, to be his thing. So I guess either that play got made and it was real small, or it didn't work out and he went back to medicine. (laughs) One of the two. It makes me a little sad. Yeah, I know, this movie is actually pretty damn good. We did originally watch this on Netflix, and... It stuck in our minds enough to to track it down this month. The the interesting thing about um, Netflix, if you haven't uh, listened to our Japanese ghost episode, is that originally Netflix put uh, would let you stream 
just anything they got the rights to. They had a huge catalog, and a lot of it was really obscure stuff because they didn't care. It was wild back then. You could see really odd, unusual things on Netflix. Now, there's still unusual stuff on Netflix. There's still foreign stuff. There's still indie stuff. But the catalog has been drastically reduced down to things that they think people will be more likely to stream. Yeah, there was a culling, like, a couple years ago. And they took, like, 90% Mm-hmm. of their catalog offline because they weren't getting the views. Yeah, I believe they decided to save themselves surfer server space and generate interest by keeping most of their digital stuff off and rotating it so that there's not as much stuff clouding up computer space for them. And all of a sudden, all they had in the gay section was important dramas. <laughs> That's that's kind of bouncing back a little bit now, but boy, was it dire for a minute there. Isn't that an unfair assessment? You've pretty much got important dramas and indie movie for your gay selection with like two comedies, maybe. There might be as many as four comedies. Looking at the history of how we accessed it and how difficult it is to get a hold of it now, despite the fact that this is basically what people clamor for all the time is really, really interesting because in that three-paragraph variety interview, uh, the, the writer talks about, like, he got this advice that nobody wants to see screwball comedies with multiple plots. Modern audiences don't want that. And I feel like if this hadn't come out in 2001, it could have done really well as a Netflix original. Like, its budget is very, very low. <laughs> You could have made this for basically a tenth of a percent of Netflix money and people would have, it still probably would have been fairly obscure because it wouldn't have gotten marketed, but it would have found a much stronger niche as this movie that is that is about playing with that concept of characters who are gay doing things that aren't about them being gay. Uh, yeah, honestly, considering the massive list of characters, like, every single person in the movie is a character. Like, I feel like that in the era of Netflix, this would be the kind of thing that would be made into a Netflix original series. Because I would this watch is the, the kind hell of, out of that. Oh my god. Yeah, that this would be is the funny. kind of thing that really catches on. And it's it's just such a shame that this is in many ways, full at once a total product of its time, but also a wrong time, wrong place sort of movie that has just gotten buried. I do think it would work well as a series because you could give it a lot of room to breathe and add in more plots and more like clarifying information about a lot of these characters and relationships. But at the same time, it works so well as a screwball comedy because it's so tight and mm-hmm. there's no room to breathe as it is now. Yeah, like, when it first started, I thought it was threatening to be, like, a complete comedy of errors, and it went, mm, no, not not that cringy. It, it doesn't say whether Trevvasser is gay, but I have to assume that he is, because there is this deliberate refusal to have everything blow up in the character's face that I really <laughs> like, which I guess we should go ahead and dive into the plot proper. So the premise which I will just give to you all in bite-sized format so that you can go out and buy this DVD. Immediately. Uh For $3, not $80. No, not for $80. A a nice, affordable $3 to $5. (laughs) Is that there are these two hit... uh, So there are these two 
gay guys. They're a couple. Mm-hmm. They are happily in love. They have a house, a dog, the whole ten yards. And all of a sudden, one of them gets a call from his parents that are like, Hey, by the way, surprise, we're coming to visit. And he's like, oh no, oh no, what are we going to do? We have to hide our big secret. Which is, of course, that they work for the mob. <laughs> Obviously, his parents already know that they're that he's gay and have met and support his boyfriend. Uh, yeah, the only reason that they aren't husbands in this movie is because it's in 2001. Like, it's the only thing stopping that. Yeah, they definitely, if this wasn't a movie from 2001, would have kissed at the end, right? Right. Because, like, they are very happily together and in love, and they have great chemistry. But there's there's not a lot of physical affection because, you know, 2001. And I assume it was already a struggle to get this made. Yeah. So, Stephen is the one whose parents are coming to visit. He has just never mentioned that they work for the mob, and they've been claiming to his parents all along that they are, like, high-level caterers. Because, you know, that's a gay job. Uh-huh. That, that's literally the logic here. It's, I don't know, that's a gay thing. Let's tell them that, that we do that. They'll buy that. But they're, in fact, like, the most trusted enforcers for this one mafia family. By the way, Steven is played by the nephew of Ralph Lauren. Okay. He hasn't had a lot of credits outside of the early 2000s. I would assume that he started out as a model. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, he was in Batman and Robin and Boogie Nights. And Batman Forever. Mm-hmm. As extras. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> he was there. <laughs> Oh, he played cute guy on an episode of Melrose Place. See? <laughs> okay, but he's definitely gay because he was in a short in 1994 called A Friend of Dorothy. Oh, no. It says he's married to Elizabeth Berkeley. What the fuck? Right? <laughs> oh, my God. But, but is he keeping her off the caffeine pills? <laughs> this is very important. He's her support. Well, they did get married in 2003. <laughs> so the year this didn't come out. Yeah? Huh? It's all coming together. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh my god. Elizabeth Berkeley. <laughs> Meanwhile, his husband is played by uh, Christopher Garton, who you all may know as... The Barefoot Contessa's nephew. I am prepared to believe you. I, I was kidding. It's spelled differently. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you may remember him as that guy in a lot of random TV shows. And... How dare you? He was also the sexy waiter in Black Swan. <laughs> and <laughs> an adulterer in Mother. So he's friends with Darren Aronofsky is what I'm saying. Okay, he hangs with Aronofsky. <laughs> and he was in Tremors 2, Aftershocks. Uh, he was? Uh, he was Grady Hoover. Oh, Grady died, I think. I don't remember. I haven't seen Tremors 2 in forever. What I'm saying is, the train of actors who did this and nothing else doesn't stop, really. Steven and Danny are now in panic mode, because obviously you have to hide it from his nice Midwestern parents that they live in New York and work for the Mafia and are in fact beloved of the Don. They are his number one guys. Yeah, the Don loves them. Shame they're not Sicilian. It's also extra important to hide this. From uh, Stephen's father, because something Stephen hadn't mentioned to Danny before now. His dad's an FBI guy. So if you're thinking this sounds a little Fockersy, you're not wrong. 
Except that this is delightful. Yes. Yeah, but your vibe is also way off. Well, and it's honest, like, again, this movie makes choice after choice to just be relentlessly sweet in a way I like, because the reason they have to hide it from him is not, oh, no, he's going to turn us in. It's, oh, my gosh, we can't let him know because he'd do the right thing and he'd quit his job rather than turn us in. We don't want to do that to him. That would be terrible. So, yeah, it's it's kind of like the opposite of, of those, those cringy comedies like Meet the Parents. Mm-hmm. Which I love because cringe comedy just makes me long for death. I have a really hard time with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it. Ooh, that's what I said at the beginning. This isn't one of those classic comedy of errors. Like, what's the only cringe comedy you can survive? Robin Williams and Nathan Lane in Birdcage? Yeah, more or less. Which bullet for this in that Variety article was, all right, it's The Sopranos meets La Caja Foles. Which is <laughs> wrong i guess <laughs> but it is also the most snapshot of an era <laughs> so they go to tell the don about this and they feel really guilty because um the, because uh when they try to explain that don you know we have this problem we have something we need to hide from steven's parents and the don is immediately like oh of course they're, they're probably pretty provincial don't worry we, we'll help them process you two being a couple because i'm cosmopolitan so obviously i can deal with it <laughs> that they use that joke a lot and honestly i i love it like <laughs> honest the sad thing is i think that joke would still play now but for 2001 it's it's fantastic as a normalizing step like of course our midwestern parents are cool with us being a couple why wouldn't they be what kind of asshole wouldn't be cool with that i do think it's significant that danny's parents don't exist yeah danny's parents just don't exist they're just gone we never speak of them. Ever. They do not get to pet the dog. The good, Maybe good they're dog. dead. Dead to him, at least. <laughs> Maybe dead because... <laughs> <laughs> These guys are trained killers who met in the army as rangers. <laughs> there is an ask and tell joke. They also beat the shit out of somebody in blackface. Which is a fantastic way to open the movie. Although, really, at an opera in New York in 2000, you're... You're seeing a guy play Othello in blackface? This got all the way to the staged production? <laughs> what am I saying? Yeah, of no, I remember did. 2001. That tracks. Oh, you're right. <sighs> you're right. What am I saying? Of course it did. Then the Don's feelings are, are somewhat hurt to realize that his two boys have not told their family about him. But his daughter swoops in to save the day. By having even more chaos than they have. Because... This is a great chance for her to bring in the boy she likes and was about to introduce to her parents. Because she just got engaged to this random dude. This, this random- The most befuddled man on the planet. <laughs> he is our milk toast bystander, but is not that annoying, which is nice. He's just kind of there. He too has good old fashioned Midwestern parents. The Don really, really likes Stephen and Danny in part because his own children are not so good at crime. No. Well, his own sons are not so good at crime. His daughter's great at crime. She's an amazing crime. But, you know, old school sexism. Ah, we cannot let you take over the family. Well, you know, it's old school sexism and racism because, you know, you have to be Sicilian and you have to be, you have to be the son. Those are just the rules or the organization falls apart. The daughter's name is Cheryl, played by Alison Mackie, not to be confused with Alison Mack. And she's going to loop in her... Two brothers, one of whom 
is a great chef, and the other whom loves to make costumes. He owns a strip club, but he's always in the back sewing instead of being an enforcer, you see. Because he's making the girls' costumes. He's making the girls' excellent costumes. And, you know, I appreciate that he's doing a good job making costumes for the girls, but honestly, you really do need to... to if you can't properly protect your dancers, you need to, to be on top of getting somebody else to do that. This is a pretty good joke because at no point does anyone take a finger and point it out and go, see, look at the joke. Look at the joke where the where the gay men do the machismo and the straight men do do the sissy girly things. Isn't it funny? Yeah, nobody points it out and says it, but it's also interesting that um, Cheryl specifically says she really wants to do this because she wants her dad to value her brother's talents as they are. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's this whole thing where he doesn't appreciate these things that they're really talented at. But if they do something that helps you out with your problem, he'll see how cool it is that they can do this stuff. Huh? Huh? Even though they would not do a good job of running the family, <laughs> despite what their mother says. <laughs> my god their mother the, the one one scene she gets lines in <laughs> Willem Dafoe would be would be hard pressed to gnaw as much scenery off and swallow it now we have the parents are coming to visit and we have to put on a show for them we have oh no we have to get the show ready to go with all and, and get all of these yahoos corralled in order which also includes Danny and Steven getting their gay friend to teach you know, their local mobsters how to be waiters. No, no. <laughs> the local mobsters took that upon themselves. Yeah. Because we gotta help they Danny told, and Steven. They told all the foot soldier guys, you're gonna be waiters, and left it as th- at that. The foot soldiers went, sucks. We gotta be gay for the night. Because caterers why would we are gay. Work, and why would we work for a gay caterer if we're not gay? <laughs> <laughs> or uh, I believe the way they phrased it is is not that way. I believe they actually fra- phrased it, well, yeah, obviously they're going to hire gay people to work at their gay catering business. Which, like, not bad logic. It's true. Not, not untrue. The gays, we stick together. At this point, the movie stops having any scene longer than two minutes, and everything is intercut with a montage of hilariously learning to act gay from a stereotypical old queen. Who looks kind of like if you demuscled Mads Mikkelsen and added 20 years. Okay, but that is one of the, the really funny things in it is that their friends are still traditional New York queens. Yeah, so they, they hang with, um, with a, a very stereotypically gay guy who does a hilarious but not mean-spirited montage with the mafia guys where he teaches them to like be performatively gay mm-hmm. since they've asked they have to learn about you know Sonny and Cher and, and Liza and, and Judy and <laughs> the whole ten. Oh no don't forget the best one on on his his queer representation list queer icon wishbone hell yes and it was like you know you know he's got a point <laughs> Uh, he's played by Edward Hibbert, by the way, who is still working mostly in voice work. He is the guy who took over playing Zazu in all of the Lion King sequels. And if that's the thing we can point out, <laughs> he's sort of a, hey, it's that guy. I've definitely seen him in other stuff. Yeah. Uh, everyone who is still working from this movie is a character actor. <laughs> Speaking of which, that brings us to our third subplot. Oh, yes, there's oh, yes, another, there's another. 
which is that the fiance's parents are also coming to New York. But the thing is, they're terrorists. <laughs> this is yeah. 2001. So, so his parents are terrorists, but in the style of terrorists that people were afraid of in 2000. Right, because this came out in June of 2001. You can see why it got buried a little bit. The paradigm of terrorism that we were being sold at the time was much closer to accurate, honestly. It, mm -hmm. it was things that people were thinking of related to the Unabomber and Oklahoma City. Yeah, these people are like if doomsday preppers actually did something with all those guns they're amassing, basically. Yeah, they're like the Michigan militia and shit. And one of them is played by easily the biggest star in the movie, which is, of course... Tova Feltsha, which you unfortunately, if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, might know from Kissing Jessica Stein, and we at home more recently know from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, a much better show that you should definitely watch. Yeah, she she plays uh, Rebecca's mother in uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And she played the mother in Kissing Jessica Stein as she, well. She plays moms. This is not the type of mom she usually plays. <laughs> she's so funny, though. <laughs> like, she is great. Oh, yeah. She's amazing. The mid the Wisconsin accent she's put on is something. Mm-hmm. And I do delight, I do delight in the level of dignity and respect that they place upon terrorists, because that's about as brilliant as I expect the real ones are. Yeah, uh, yeah, by the amount of dignity, you mean, of course, none. Negative, even, in fact. They have they negative owe us dignity. dignity. They are in that beautiful, beautiful theater, and they just suck all of the dignity out of it. And yeah, they have guns, they have no trigger discipline. The movie loves to do ironic cutaways to them. Like, picking their nose with a gun. Uh, you know, I would describe the editing in this movie as... You know when somebody start gets Sony Vegas for the first time and decides to make an AMV, and they do way too many cuts because they're just so excited by the fact that they can do cuts? That's this movie. What? I need, I need one scene to match up with every single line of the song. Don't you understand? That's what the purpose of it is. Basically. And, like, sometimes it works and sometimes it's a little bit ridiculous. There's no overlaid Bleeding Cowboys font, though. God, Bleeding Cowboys font. Steven and Danny's parents arrive, and there are multiple scenes of... Oh no. Oh no, all of our guns are out! Help uh, me hide the guns! Oh no, are they having sex in there? That's so awkward. They're not having sex in there, the maid's in there. Fussing over their doggo. Oh, it's so good. The Honestly, the realest... What, one of the realest scenes in this movie is where they finally go to the dinner, and... Steven's mom is like, will the dog be okay for that long? Like, he won't be sad, so really. The dog is just totally neutral. The dog does not- <laughs> He doesn't do anything. I don't think he moves from the spot. No, <laughs> they cut back to the dog a few hours later, sitting in exactly the same spot. <laughs> because no joke is too much. And the dinner scene goes really well. And I love that about this movie, because I feel like a lot of screwball comedies- especially that were popular at the time, like Meet the Parents, would have had it be a giant disaster. And that's how the truth comes out, is that everything falls apart because nobody can maintain their personas. But no, no, it, it all turns out really well, even though Stephen and Danny are bad cooks. Terrible cooks. They They're try to help with the cooking, and 
We did have to do the bad cooking scene. (laughs) But, like, that's the the most anybody fails in this movie, Mm. is that they suck at cooking. They (laughs) suck at making pate because they don't know how to... And there are are silent moments of, what the fuck are you doing at the waiters (laughs) as they gay it up? Uh, Yeah, so uh, I I want to make mention of that. I, I honestly have to say that... I appreciate the movie for going to that length to sanitize the joke because they're not making fun of anyone. They're trying to do it seriously. They're being trolled by another gay man who just thinks it's delightful. And we all have to be honest. Sometimes the really silly queenie gay waiter is really funny. Uh, I, I mean, Scott Thompson on on Kids in the Hall made almost an entire career out of it because it is pretty funny but it's nice that they went to such lengths to make it not mean-spirited it's a thing that has to be handled like in the right context by the right creators which this movie does because it's you know it's sort of a joke on the fact that all of these gay stereotypes cough cough this is definitely about will and grace are often played (laughs) by straight men pretending to be gay but it also leads to this sort of confrontational scene after the militia busts in and everybody is temporarily captured where their friend turns to them and are like can you two get over your internalized homophobia like you act like you're better than us because you're macho manly men and that makes you you know a better class of gay than than us more feminine queens shut the fuck up and get over yourself and it's really good I feel like that's an undercurrent that still goes on today that has been addressed in this 20-year-old film. (laughs) It's very interesting because it didn't feel like it was building to that, but once somebody actually says it in the movie, Mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense. And it also sort of recontextualizes the relationship we've seen between these characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where you have these, these two very manly guys swanning in and out of these relationships, uh, of these scenes with their other queer friends and feeling sort of apart from them. Like they are there with them, but they also kind of seem like they don't want to be seen with them at points. And, you know, they, there is also, like, they get off, not, not literally, but a lot of the movie devotes a lot of time to them, both openly defining themselves as the gay hitman, but making sure that everybody they meet who knows they're the gay hitman also knows they're the most badass guys ever. Mm-hmm. Which is a thing I think a lot of people struggle with, is just being taken seriously. We should also, by the way, give a shout out to Meshach Taylor, who is playing their other friend, and is And who saves fantastic. the day. He does. Oh, he saves the day with the cliche. I love it. Yes. Yes, because um, the, the perfect, wonderful, amazing cake is wheeled out at the party. And the the mafia guy's mom realizes that they did a wonderful job and she should value their talents in cooking and decorating and not just expect them to kill people all the time. And uh, she gets so effusive and emotional about it that she, she accidentally smacks the cake, smudges the icing. It's not destroyed or anything, but she has smudged the beautiful icing. And Mishak Taylor steps up and... Well, because she she weeps and she goes, no, it was perfect. Yeah, and then he steps up with the old cliche about how, you know, you have to create a flaw in any perfect thing so as not to offend the gods. And it's a beautiful speech and I love it. And he delivers it like what this, he delivers it with such gravitas 
It's great. <laughs> like a combination of gravitas and I'm BSing in the moment. Oh shit, oh shit. When the militia shows up at the event, because also there's uh, a senator there? Be- who, because he's a friend of the Don. Right. And we gotta show some more. He's in the Don's boys. pocket. They're not friends. <laughs> yeah. Fred. Uh, now, why would you say that? They're friends. They do favors for one another. <laughs> I don't know. He seems like he might be a friend of the Don's wife, if you know what I mean. She was very excited that he was going to be there. So when the militia shows up, you would think that uh, that the mafia people would be able to handle that. But they're not because like half of the mafia guys masquerading as waiters have been sent away to get drag queens. Because the Don has been throughout the evening listening to everything that Stephen's mom says she wishes was there and just making it show up magically to ensure that it's a perfect magical night for her. Well, because they really drive home that these these two are the Don's favorite and, you know, they're family. So he sent away like half of his guards to find drag queens at random. In the, in the streets. <laughs> okay, but the, the fantastic subtle joke here is there, what, two, three cutaways of them hunting for drag queens? And they ask a cop and he's like, oh yeah, drag queens right over there. There's a whole house full of them. Can't miss it. I assume you busted them last week, sir. I presume that cop's night ends in that scene from cruising. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe once they find the drag queens, the drag queens mention that that cop is an asshole. And they beat him up. I mean, they did do the mob a favor. The mob does pay things back. <laughs> the mob's gonna take care of the cops for them. And it'll be good. <laughs> so, yes, everything comes to a head at once. The The foot soldiers come back with the drag queens. Everything is a tense standoff. Except that the queens save the day. Because, of course, they do. Yeah, because um, with the drag queens, the baseballs that... Uh... That the one friend brought from a costume party where he won them earlier. Mm-hmm. Yes, he had to show up fashionably late because he was at a fancy dress party. So he showed up dressed in a baseball uniform, but also he had won a couple of baseballs at the party, signed Fine. by the New York Yankees. He gave one of them to the senator's aide. They hit it off so beautifully. Uh-huh. And all of the mafia guys and Stephen and Danny managed to neutralize... The terrible terrorists. Yes, they overpower all of the terrorists with the power of two drag queens and two baseballs. That's all it needs. You need to defeat terrorists, everyone. Drag queens and balls. Well, one of the terrorists does get seduced also. That's true. Well, yeah, that's true. (laughs) So drag queens, balls, and love. Not even particularly, like, this is not the joke of, ah, drag queens are all, like, extremely burly men who are putting on makeup badly. Like, these queens look lovely, and And one of them is fairly short. And honestly, the implication seems to be more, don't fuck with drag queens. You should not disrespect them. (laughs) They'll kill you. They do say that rather directly. He disrespected me. (laughs) And then her friend goes over and... It just cuts because the movie has a 30 second, 30 second memory where it just cuts and now they're in on the plan. Yep. <laughs> because bless, this movie is clearly made by people who don't work in film normally. Yeah. So then they beat up all the terrorists because they don't want the cops to arrive because if the cops get there, people are going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. That's literally the logic here is we can't let this go on so long that the cops show up. 
Yeah, because that'll be 50 guys with 50 guns pointed in 50 different directions, so we gotta take it out when it's just us. And the cops will escalate and kill everybody. Like, full on. (laughs) That is the logic here. 20 years ago. Man, this movie is really ahead of its time. Is it, or is it just that nothing has changed? (sighs) Man, this movie is really ahead of its time. (laughs) Fuck. And it ends with this very sweet scene that should have been a kiss, but 2001, where where Danny and Steven stand on the balcony while everybody's kind of breaking up and about to go home. And, and they, they they smear cake frosting on one another's faces to mess up perfection. And they're gonna grow old together, uh, and it's really nice. Well, and also that the smearing cake specifically is like if there was a wedding cake and you did a cake smash. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's very cute. Oh, and also Steven's dad is retired, so he doesn't even give a shit. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. This is all. Uh, but you also forgot the final piece of the deus ex machina. Boring boyfriend slash fiance. He, he mentions in conversation to the Don that he doesn't understand how his parents became radicalized like this. They were always so kind before. He doesn't understand it. Like, they were such good people when when he was orphaned in that... Uh... <laughs> in that earthquake in Sicily, they took him in from the Sicilian Rescue League immediately. And then the Don's like, really? Perfect. So now, so now his fate is sealed. The Don's daughter will be leading the mob with him as a figurehead. And she's good at it. And now I'm even sadder that this is not a Netflix series because how fucking great would that be? (laughs) Well, I guess what I'm saying is bring friends and family back as, as a Netflix miniseries. Please, I need it. Oh my god, that would be so much fun. Yeah, because you could do like a a whole season on just setting up for the party. And mm-hmm. then what do you do the next season? Who knows? Who knows? So now that we've talked about the movie, can I ask a serious question? What the fuck was, was the Yuna trailer at the beginning? Oh god. Yeah. I didn't see this mythical trailer. We could only get we couldn't get it to play again. Yeah. So we played this on a PS4. So there was an autoplay trailer that it won't play again since it's already played it and it registers. It's weird. And it won't come up on my computer because it goes straight to the menu. So I think they might have collectively hallucinated this trailer while I was in the kitchen getting a drink. No, I saw it. I saw it. I swear I saw it. It was there. Yeah. So this was put out by Wolf Video and their whole thing seems to be gentle gay movies so they had a trailer that was cut together from like all the movies that that wolf had out at the time it was like a lot of anime dvds had back in the day where it's just sort of showcasing here's what we have and the entire selling point they seemed to have for every movie was it's gay and not sad (laughs) You're gay. Come it's watch gay. it. It's you gay. don't care what the plots are. You don't care who's in the movie. It's gay. You'll fucking watch it. Give me money. But like there were there were cuts from um, you know, the Torch Song trilogy and Big Eden. I know you gays love Big Eden. So there was just this massive trailer that was just a bunch of shots of like gay couples interacting. I was I was very confused because I'm like Wow, this one movie has a lot of male leads and a lot of different cameras being used. Oh, it's been going on for three and a half minutes now. 
I mean, that is the 2001 mood, though, is the thing. I remember being, like, a middle schooler and, like, I'm gonna find a movie that's got the gays in it. The gays don't die? Aw, oh, shit. I never expected that. Yeah. The standards were low, people. And honestly, if we were going to pick a, a gay rom-com that didn't have, like, the screwball twist, probably Big Eden would have been a good pick. Mm. A- another movie that... I haven't seen it, I know people like it, and that it's very much a product of its time. Yeah, and it's it's very much sort of in the realm of the traditional small-town romance mm. novel genre. Gotcha. Where somebody goes back to their hometown and, you know, like Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, boy. Reese Witherspoon is a treasure. I like her <laughs> acting. She was in some movies. But so that is kind of the, the mood and the environment that this movie came out of, was that you'll watch this thing. We know you'll watch it. You don't have anything else to watch. But it's surprisingly good. Yeah, I feel like, because you want to just say like, why haven't more people heard of this movie? But it's like, well, it's because it was put out by a smaller distributor, because that's the only people who could get it. And also its creators didn't go on to do anything else because they couldn't find a place in the industry. So there is no stuff to back market it to new audiences. And uh, it's also very difficult to Google. So nobody found it. And that's why you haven't heard of it. Angry Tumblr post. Like it's it's sad and it's <laughs> why frustrating. Why is nobody talking about this? It's sad and it's frustrating, but there are, are chains of logic and exclusion that lead to these series of events that stop these kind of movies from happening earlier than they've kind of started to emerge just now. I don't know, this turned out to be a really good chance to highlight how that happens. Sorry, I said a serious thing It's also thing for a, a really there. good chance to highlight that you should go freaking buy this and show it to your friends, because they'll like yes, it. Yes! Bring a popularity resurgence to this film. We're single-handedly <laughs> gonna do it. Confuse the Amazon resellers. Yeah, why is it- did, did someone in this get a career again? What's happening? Anything we didn't cover about the- it's also only 87 minutes is the thing. It's a very slim yeah, little film. It's the same length as Reanimator. And it the doesn't feel like cut, they cut anything. <laughs> the standard cut of Reanimator, to be clear. But that's not true. Apparently there were deleted scenes on, on the disc. I didn't watch them, though. I wonder if those also involve uh, mind control. Oh, then it would be a then it would be a very different film. Some yeah, just like Reanimator. Who's gonna put together the R-rated cut of Friends and Family, <laughs> <laughs> or the television cut? <laughs> this is the most wholesome movie on earth. You could absolutely show it on television right now. Uh huh. Nobody swears. Pretty much. Yeah, nobody swears. There's no sexuality. Extremely mild violence that involves a fisticuff. There's no blood. <laughs> Show There's it no to your slurs. children. And you know what? We could all use a little bit of pick-me-up in the fucking trash fire that is 2020. Yeah, it's, it's just <sighs> a very gentle film, and I'm glad I got the chance to watch it again. Mm-hmm. And now we own it, and I'm happy about that. Well, yeah, because it's a great ADD movie, because no scene lasts more than two minutes, so you can just stick it on in the background. Yeah, it does ha- have that in common with Lifetime movies. I think that about wraps us up for this week. If you liked this episode, you can find more from us on our SoundCloud by looking for Trash and Treasures, or you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash trashandtreasures. Uh, $5 a month gets you a monthly bonus episode where we've done all kinds of things, from talking about other movies like Hannibal to uh, me making Dorothy describe the plots of films she hasn't seen to me. 
<laughs> only based only on her knowledge from memes. People seem to like that one. <laughs> you can also email us at trashtreasurespod at gmail.com or you can get a hold of us on social media. We are on Tumblr at trashandtreasurespod.tumblr.com or we are on Twitter at trashpod. And uh, I'd like to give a shout out to at Mori's underscore uh, for also being a Lex fan because we are accruing them and I support <laughs> that. So our next episode is diving into the sci-fi genre, which I know that you nerds out there are probably about. Uh, if you are a patron, you've probably heard us talk about this director before, but probably not this film. And it's absurdly long title, which is Codependent Lesbian Space Alien Seeks Same. And I'm very eager to talk about that and the entire genre of niche indie film it fits into. And Sean, I know that sometimes Pride Month is hard for you because you are a token straight man. I just, like, what do I have to offer most of the time? This one was easy to, easy to get through because it's cute and funny, but when we do stuff like cruising, it's like, uh, I do like this movie, but, uh... Yeah, but we love you, and the audience also loves you, and so we were glad to have you on this one. (laughs) Yeah, it was fun being here. Alright, so, until next time, listeners, stay safe out there, take care of yourselves. Bye, y'all. Good night, everybody.